The fall legislative session begins tomorrow, and there's lots of issues uh, that uh, elected officials will be looking at, from housing to climate change to public safety and a new party in the House. Usually the spring and summer, spring session is the longest, but the fall session is very important, particularly around housing when you look at, um, you know, the issue of secondary suites being legalized throughout the province, even the talk about Airbnbs and banning them or potentially bringing in rules, making it a lot tougher for them. Uh, it's going to be a very busy session. Joining me now to talk a little bit about the fall session is uh, Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. Keith, welcome. Hey, Jess. So let's talk about, uh, well, I guess we should start with the party. Another party uh, will be sitting in the legislature uh, starting tomorrow, the B.C. Conservatives. What impact do you think that's going to have in just the broader conversation, the tone and debate? Oh, I think it could have a significant impact. This is, um, we now have three, we will now have three opposition parties represented. That is the most in almost 30 years. You have to go back to 1995, the dying days of that of that parliament, you you had the Social Credit Party had imploded and split into two, with several of them becoming BC Reform MLAs and one lone Socred remaining. Then you had the BC Liberals actually fractured as well, with Gordon Wilson leaving the party and creating his short-lived party called the PDA or Progressive Democratic Alliance. So we actually had five parties back then for opposition, and now we're going to have three. And the divide between the BC United and the BC Conservatives is a very personal one, because the BC Conservatives have two members who are former members of the BC United Caucus, or their precursor, the BC Liberal Caucus. And it's, you know, John Rustad was expelled from the caucus by party leader Kevin Falcon, won over to the Conservatives. Then Bruce Banman, a rookie MLA from Abbotsford South, decided to join Rustad over a number of issues. And now they've got official party status, which means they're on a par with the BC Greens. They can ask questions in question period. So John Rustad will be on his feet tomorrow morning about 1030, just after uh, the BC United kicks off, probably with Kevin Falcon asking the first couple questions. And and uh, another, and probably Todd Stone, the government house or the opposition house leader. Then Sonia First, another leader of the Greens, will ask her two questions, and then Russad gets a kick at it. And that's going to be a daily occurrence in question period. So question period frames much of the media coverage that comes out of out of the legislature. So Russad suddenly can take the Conservatives from absolute oblivion to some sort of profile, and that's going to be at the expense of BC United. So I think there's going to be a bit of tension there, mm-hmm. um, and look for the NDP to gleefully exploit this whenever they can, because, of course, it's in their interest to see a schism develop on the opposition benches. And there certainly is one right now between BC Conservative and the BC United. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much of this is just Pierre Polyev's popularity, which the BC Conservatives are sort of getting, you know, some of the bump from that? Uh, and partially just it's just, uh, you know, people are confused in regards to who the Free Enterprise Party is. I think it's more the latter. I think there's definitely a bit of a rub-off from Poliev. Mm-hmm. But if that was the case, why are Manitoba's conservatives about to go down to election defeat? You know, you'd argue that maybe they should benefit, too, from any uh, uptick in the conservative brand mm-hmm. uh, federally. But I'm sure there's a bit of that. But the other thing, to your other point about the confusion, I do think people do not know who BC United is. It's, it's not a name they're familiar with, not a name they've really heard before. Um, and the challenge for that party is to become known to such an extent that they will replace the B.C. Liberals in people's minds as the Free Enterprise Coalition. 
But now that you've got the Conservatives in the House uh, elevated with an elevated profile, and now that you've got a series of polls we've seen, and there'll probably be more polls that show the BC Conservatives are actually ahead or tied with BC United in voter preference, that's going to continue to give a boost to the BC, United, BC Conservative Party at the expense of BC United. So I think the BC United has a real challenge, and that's to get its brand out there, and they've made no effort so far to do that. I mean, they had two terrible by-election losses. In writings, they weren't going to win anyways, but still to finish behind the B.C. Conservatives in one is, is troubling for them. So uh, I think uh, and that's going to add a little bit of spice to this session that we haven't seen before. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, people say, well, you know, there's probably an ad campaign. They can raise their profile. And having worked with the LNG industry in the past and being, uh, you know, very closely involved with, uh, you know, communications, strategy and, and having to buy, you know, do, you know, six, seven figure uh, ad buys, uh, not only do you need the dollars, number one, which is very difficult to raise in, a, in, in this type of environment for any political party, never mind the opposition, but you also need a runway. You need time. You can't just do mm-hmm. it in, in six months, even a year sometimes. You've got to yep. go two, three, four, sometimes even five years to consistently drive well, a message down and then they don't have the runway at the moment. No, they don't. And you and I went through a big rebrand ourselves, Jazz, if you recall. We were both working for BCTV, mm-hmm. huge brand in, in this province as, a, as the number one television station. TV for BC, the Dogwood uh, symbol. We were extremely well known as a station. Then we were bought by Global, and we were kind of freaking out. How do we go from being BCTV, this massive brand, to a relatively lesser known brand much lesser known brand and it took i think it took us two years to do that and what i recall what we did we did not lose the bctv name we simply wedded it to the global name for at least a year so people were making the transition in their minds oh so bctv is now global okay mm-hmm. i get it. that was hammered home again and again and that was our logo on the screen was bctv on global and that took a good year um, before we got to the point where we could suddenly shed the BCTV name. And these guys are starting cold. There's no mention that the BC United used to be the BC Liberals or that there's any history there whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just relying on people to remember that Kevin Falcon and Shirley Bond and Mike DeYoung, oh, yeah, they were the BC Liberals that I voted for. And that's a tough thing to do uh, in this in this media landscape. And partially, I think it is the core question since the BC United, BC Liberals have been in opposition, is their inability to come back with a core story of who they are and why they exist uh, beyond just let's keep the socialist hordes out. That was generally the the, the message. But they, they, they've been unable, to, I think, to modernize. I think they're trying, but it's very difficult to have a core message as to why, who you are and what you are. So the, it's a sense of identity for them as well. Like, what do you stand for that isn't conservative, that's different from the NDP? And that's really tough to do, as I said, as you say, not within a one-year window as well, but they still haven't answered that, I think, that core question for themselves. Well, I mean, it's very tough to be an opposition party, an effective opposition party. And, you know, don't underestimate the challenge that comes with opposition because it's a very frustrating situation. Nothing you do actually has any impact. But when you're in government, you can define yourself much easier because you're actually doing things that have an impact directly, if not immediately, on people's lives. You, you bring in laws that fundamentally change something. Um, they can be popular or unpopular, but you do things... Uh, sort of action-oriented, and so you can define yourself very well. Opposition, you don't control the agenda. The government controls the agenda. You're always reacting to another force, 
And when you're always reacting, usually in a negative way, it's tough to establish that identity. And that's why the NDP had a tough time in opposition for a number of years until they finally made that breakthrough in 2017 uh, on a bit of an electoral fluke. Uh, got power with the partnership of the Greens and then was able to run the table in 2020 and now sits very uh, poised to do it again unless the opposition gets their gets their message together. But I just I think it's a very challenging time to be an opposition party in this province. Mm-hmm. And it's made even more challenging when you've got three of them in the House now, all fighting for oxygen, oxygen uh, limited supply of oxygen, all fighting to get their voice heard as the alternative to the government side. And history in B.C. shows when the opposition is divided on that side of the political spectrum, the NDP can win with a relatively smaller share of the popular vote in terms of winning seats. We are speaking to Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. We're talking about the fall legislative session beginning tomorrow in Victoria. We're talking about a new party getting official party status under the BC Conservatives. Let's talk about some of the specific policies we should be looking for in regards to legislation. Uh, Let's start with housing first and foremost. Uh, Keith, uh, what can we expect yeah, I'm told there's going to be four bills. Um, Ravi Kalin, the House Housing Minister, last week talked about uh, such things as uh, changing to zoning rules for municipalities. Uh, the province is going to step in there, I think, curb municipal powers when it comes to zoning for housing. Uh, there's going to be something on short-term rentals, i.e. Airbnb, about uh, changing the rules on that. I think there's going to be one dealing with um, creating secondary suites, uh, being allowed, again, over some municipal objections to so have secondary seats within their boundaries, um, and one more. So four housing bills. Uh, there's going to be, I think, legislation regarding the wildfire um, management situation, not the overhaul of the Emergency Program Act, which I think is coming next spring, because they're in the midst of a consultation process with that. But there are going to be some changes about uh, uh, local uh, involvement, I think, in wildfires. Uh, There's going to be some changes around the ongoing decriminalization of drug issue. Mm -hmm. Look for an expansion, potentially, of curbing the areas in which you can consume drugs that have been decriminalized. And then the one that's not getting a lot of attention, but I think is a a biggie, because it goes to an issue we've talked about before many times. Many people Mm -hmm. talked about it, about doctors and nurses that get trained in other countries cannot perform their professions when they're here. There's going to be a bill in the House that goes well beyond those two professions, and it's, it's, it's the criteria for all professions of, of immigrants who've been trained um, in fully you know, credible institutions in other countries are going to be able to more smoothly practice their craft, their profession, in BC. And again, it goes well beyond just doctors and nurses, but other healthcare professions, other professions that have a, a level of expertise, that way is going to be smooth for them to work in those professions rather than the proverbial story of the doctor from you know, an African country who's working as a cab driver because he's not being allowed to practice medicine. So that's another big bill that's coming as well. So I'm told a little more than 12 bills. Well, you know, just to that latter point, uh, you know, when they did open up some of those, uh, looking at looking at, uh, you know, folks from foreign nations coming here, I mean, in Ontario, I think even here in BC, when they said, look, we are going to do things differently when it comes to credentials, they found foreign nurses. And guess where they found them in Ontario? In Ontario. Where did they find yeah. them in BC? In BC. So we have people in these communities, never mind coming from abroad in these communities that haven't had that have the potential to become registered nurses but we've never ever got to that point where we're saying okay how do we get you folks trained uh so you're ready to go as soon as yeah, possible, and so right? yeah. it's already started on nursing um 
we had a report out last week. One of the at the briefing we got from uh, Minister Dix and Bonnie Henry was disclosed that about 420 nurses already from other countries have been um, certified in BC are now working, and I think well more than a thousand wow. more are through the process. So I think we're starting to get some progress on nurses, but it's other professions as well, even outside the healthcare. Uh, profession. I mean, the post-secondary minister, Selena Robinson, is going to be bringing in a pretty hefty bill that's pretty far-reaching on a number of professions. Uh, let's go back to the housing uh, issue for a moment. I, I get the zoning changes. I talk about short-term rentals. I think everybody's looking f- f- uh, to forward to see that because the Airbnb and a lot of these short-term rentals have just gotten out of control and it's impacting local people, secondary suites, and uh, to be legalized throughout the province. Is this going to have any impact on renting in the city of Vancouver, Victoria. You know, I know it's very high in Victoria. Here it's $3,000 a month, yeah. if not a little bit higher. Is this going to have any impact on on that? I've, I've been skeptical for a long time on fixing the housing uh, crisis because as long as we have, you know, 150,000 people, 175,000 people moving to B.C. every year, most of them locating in three areas. 95% of the people who come in are going to Metro Vancouver, which means the suburbs, and Okanagan, specifically Kelowna, Penticton, and the capital region here. And so it's already putting continuous pressure on just dealing with the additions, let alone the status quo, the people who have been here for a couple of years and still can't find something affordable to live, let alone a newcomer. So, sorry, I'm still taking the pessimistic view that this housing situation is not going to be resolved in any meaningful way for quite a while. It's going to take some time. Even the government's... You know, I, the quarterly report was out last week. I have a column on it out today in the North Shore News, and it, I point out that even the government's own quarterly report, buried in there is their analysis of housing. And the, the bureaucrats, the civil servants in finance, estimate that the number of housing units, new housing units to be built next year, is going to be 10% less than the housing built this year. So that's a decline in one year rather than an addition. It does mean more housing, more than 40,000 units will be built, but that's a decline from 46,000 units this year. Now, finance often underestimates these numbers and they end up exceeding the targets, but that just shows you the depth of the problem that with an economic slowdown on the horizon, according to the quarterly report, there's less economic activity, less construction, the impact of high interest rates and still a, a a worrisome inflation rate that's gone down, but it's still much higher than it was a decade ago, just slows everything down. And that could potentially slow down some housing construction. So uh, changing the rules is great, but, you know, it's going to take a lot, I think, to have a meaningful impact to bring those rents from $3,000 a month down to 1500 That could take a long time. Yeah, absolutely. i got 20 seconds left. Fall uh, fall 20, uh, our 2024 election is the official date. You're not expecting any sort of early election call in your mind? No, but I'll tell you, if these polls continue to show a real serious split between the BC United and BC Conservatives on that side of the, if that becomes just permanent, then you got to figure David, e, the Premier David Eby's trigger finger can get a little itchy and maybe go early. But I think he's still going to go in the fall of 2024. Yeah, these numbers are just, I mean, a, a couple more of these polls, and boy, uh, oh. the, I, I, mean, I, the, I can't believe MLAs aren't doing cartwheels in the legislature well, already. If you're still the potential to do that. You never know. Yeah, exactly. Keith, thank you. All right, take care.